One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One Aslan ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass. The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass. The wheel of time turns and ages Welcome to the Books from Earth podcast. Now you will relive your favorite science fiction, fantasy, and apocalyptic literature. If you haven't read the book covered by this episode, do know that there will be lots of spoilers. Enjoy this story again with us, the Books from Earth podcast. Time to relive a favorite book. Welcome to the Books from Earth podcast featuring A. Lee Martinez's zany novel, Chasing the Moon. Wacky, absurd, nuts, goofy, weird. A reluctant hero in a reluctant universe. Left is right. Right is left. People are still people, except when they are monsters, literally. I think werewolves have something to do with it. Moon is in the title. Um, Today, we relive Chasing the Moon with Books from Earth. I'm Josh, and I'm joined by my fellow Books from Earth podcasters, Lou, Maureen, and Jack. First, let's go back and revisit what this book is about. Thanks, Josh. Uh, This book is about Diana. She's the hero of the book. Let me ask you, listeners, have you ever had a nightmare roommate? How about three nightmare roommates? Well, Diana, kind of a down on, on her luck, working in retail, gets an apartment. Everything seems to be awesome. And then she finds out that she has roommates. And these are roommates from literal hell. You have Vom the Hungering, who eats everything in sight. He has an eating disorder. The unending smorgas, who complete, continues to duplicate and triplicate himself. And Zap, the all-seeing, a metaphysical eyeball with arms and legs that can shoot lasers. Those are her roommates. She's a normal person in extraordinary circumstances, stuck between multiple realities. She and her three friends uh, have to go through life clinging to sanity and using empathy to navigate in an an utterly insane, zany, and fun world. In the end, she has to take on an apocalyptic cult. I think you mentioned werewolves. And stop Fenris, a multi-tentacled monster from eating the moon. Why? Because if Fenris eats the moon, the universe will be devoured. And that's bad news for everybody. Thanks for that synopsis, Jack. Chasing the moon. What for us made this world made this book come alive. I know for me it was that it was almost like watching a cartoon that just keeps kind of blending into the next scene, into the next scene, into the next scene in many ways, kind of a sort of almost psychedelic background constantly happening as uh, Diana and whoever she was with was kind of moving through the scenery and the monsters and the ever-changing landscape kind of just kind of kept it's, it's, things came alive but it was almost like it was constantly renewing itself and coming alive again in a different way and it di- again in a different way was there anything about this world that stood out for you all yes <laughs> so, <laughs> i suppose i'll i'll be the one to answer that question um the there was a whole lot of this book this just jumped off the page for me um And it started with the writing because the writing was so descriptive, but at the same time without putting any sort of like boundaries on it. So I I felt like I was actually in the environment and in the absurdity as it was happening. And then on top of that, the humor just made everything so deliciously delightful. The characters were very engaging. So I felt like every single moment that I was reading, I was looking for what is the crazy thing that is about to happen? And it just it engaged me so much. I found the apartment interesting because the apartment was almost like the one space that didn't change. You know, like everything else around changed, but the apartment was the apartment. Yes. It had, it had Vom's closet. It had the sofa. It had the kitchen that would make you anything you wanted and a, a bedroom. And it, she, she would go back to the apartment. And whenever they went back to the apartment, I almost like breathed a sigh of relief like, oh. Okay. 
<laughs> things, things are going to be static. You know what I mean? And yeah. It's like an oasis in this ever-changing world. Or every time she stepped out of the apartment building, you didn't know what, what where she was going or what was really going to happen. See, I, I love the apartment because I thought it was like a little version of hell. <laughs> right. Well, definitely. Definitely. It was a little version of purgatory of hell. And yet outside the apartment seems so chaotic that I couldn't tell if it was the kind of thing that like Diane got used to it. I don't know if I could ever get used to something that was so nutty and constantly changing. <laughs> Different personality types. Lou, did, was there anything about this world kind of stick out to you that you know you, you kind of remember well, was sort of the hallmark of it? For me, it was – I mean it was so absurd, but I could relate to – the characters, uh, especially Vaughn, because, you know, I like to eat. He likes to eat, you know. So he had <laughs> everything he tasted, ate, and the way he described food. And there was that one part where he, she was like, you know, he was looking at the dog and she was like, no, you can't eat the puppy. You know, and he was like, have, you, <laughs> have you ever Puppies. ate a puppy before? <laughs> you know? are off limits. So I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah. Have you? I was like, no, no, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, so I, I like the fact that, you know, it's like these are monsters and I can relate to them. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, it was cute. We are recording. Of Bomb, Smorgaz, Zap, and that dog creature that starts off as a puppy and slowly morphs into something much more horrifying. The more Diana sinks into that world, she sees the creature for what it really is. Which one do you are you most like? Vom, for sure, because he, you know, like you say, he's insatiable. You know, he wants everything. <laughs> he wants to consume everything. I have his appetite. I mean, not quite like that, but you know. I have his appetite. I relate to him the most. For those of you who are not watching the video feed, Lou, Lou is under tall. <laughs> under tall? <laughs> under tall. <laughs> I also am under tall for my health, for my weight. So I can say that. I, I also, Vom is, is the one I most identified with. And my insatiability isn't just for food. It's for experience. It's up too late, music too loud, too much fun. And that's all. That's what Vom is. He's the id. Josh, what about you? Well, I relate to Vom's gluttony for sure. But that's not really – I don't feel like I'm a Vom type. Zap has the abilities that most interested me, being able to see the future, the past, eternity – kind of be all-knowing, read people's minds, seemed kind of more interesting. Of course, in the book, he comes off kind of as a jerk, kind of arrogant. Not sure I would want to go, to have the personality that goes along with his ability, but I probably would have it. The dog, though, is the one who's sort of most intriguing because the dog is basically codependent, and he, he like feeds off of – Every the, the emotions of whoever he's attached to, and I have to say that I'm feeling a little bit like the dog lately too. So, <laughs> you know, just admitting where I'm confessing, <laughs> confessing. <laughs> well, we're this is a safe space for you, Josh. So you should feel like a pretty happy, happy dog. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, my dad, yeah, during the podcast, my dog's wagging its tail and, yeah, it's got his tongue out with those kind of like happy eyes. I loved Vom's hunger. I totally relate to that. Like, I have a cake in my fridge right now, and it's everything that I have to not just plant my face in it. But I think I really relate <laughs> to Smorgaz's anxiety. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm. 
<laughs> and just his constant overthinking and what are we going to do and like the fact that little creatures drip off of him <laughs> he can't hide it and I'm like that's me <laughs> this is me uh, that's great Really, plus in my head, in my head canon, like Smorgaz looks like Sully from Monsters Inc., and I love Sully and just kind of want to give him a hug. So I want to relate to Smorgaz, I think, the most. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I think we all have a little Smorgaz, Smorgaz in us. Jack does for sure. I know. <laughs> I can see the Explain. monsters popping off of you right Explain. now. Well, oh, you know, oh. when, when you when you when you get around. A situation where you're anxious, you're become really chatty, and like each each of these chattiness is like a is like a little monster popping off. It's short lived. It's short lived, so it just poof, it dies, and another one pops out. Just keep making them. That's okay. your extrovert. That's your wonderful extroversion. It's oh good. Similar to Smorgas's monsters. I like it. So Pog- Pogo's the dog's name, just to round that out. Oh, nice, Pogo. Well done. Oh, well, um, okay, so those are our monsters. What What about if you could create your custom monster that would belong in this world? What abilities, what shape, what oddity would this monster have? If you're not ready to answer this question, I'm, I, I, I've prepared my answer, so... Kind of Please way. go, yeah. Josh. Go. So, one of the characteristics of myself is indecision, and so my monster would embody indecision, and so it would basically be kind of long, but wide long, not long depth, like wide long. So when you looked at my face, you would see a, a long, a wide monster, but it would still be very skinny, and it would have so its profile would be thin its profile would be very thin right okay. but frontal vision so you have a two dimensional monster that's a flat wall nice okay. well three no three I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with three dimensional because I can't okay. think about a two dimensional monster my mind but is it pa- like a pancake <laughs> <laughs> we're just picking apart your poor monster I'm so sorry Josh I'm trying Please. to understand your monster <laughs> I was thinking more of like um, a hot tamale. Oh, candy. okay. Okay. Oh, like oh red, hot tamale candy. Red and candy? somewhat translucent, okay. but really elongated. Okay. okay. Really I like elongated. it. <laughs> On each end is one arm and one foot. Okay. And in the middle is this rather large brain-looking structure. Uh, and... It has two eyes, and the eyes never both look forward, except for very rarely. And one's going in one direction, and the other <laughs> eyes going in the other direction. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. And the brain has to be so big because this monster has the hardest time with dealing with the yes and the no that's involved in every decision. Mm. <laughs> this is very good work on your part. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I think I think Ailey Martinez needs to to tune in and grab this creature and credit you maybe even call him josh <laughs> that would be awesome that would be, that would read every book with josh in it. <laughs> still seeking uh so that's kind of my monster and i don't know what its special ability is i think its special ability is um uh it emanates something that puts I people think it in would state. Be- I think its special ability could be decisiveness, and it's just not frequently used. Like when those two eyes come together, right? Right. Which is rare, six times per lifetime, superpower. Oh, okay. I got it. I got it. (laughs) And and when it's not being decisive, it'll give you every angle. You can decide on the many angles, and that could be annoying if you don't want to know any more angles, or if you're still trying Mm -hmm. to figure something out, you could appreciate the various angles you're getting. I love it. Last question. 
does it have the faint smell of artificial cinnamon? Because of the hot tamale. <laughs> I don't know, it's <laughs> I'm glad you picked up on that because I'm sitting here going, does Josh smell like cinnamon? <laughs> Why does Jack know that Josh smells like cinnamon? <laughs> and I need more ramp. I mean, what's up with this? Um, I think it's a fantastic work on your part. I definitely thanks. don't have one now that you've done that. I, I have two All right. <laughs> because there are two sides to me. So the first one is just very simple. It's the Pokemon Jigglypuff. <laughs> <laughs> and if you are not familiar with Puff. Jigglypuff, Jigglypuff pops out of nowhere, just starts singing and puts people to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Really wow. <laughs> that is definitely the first side of me. Then the other side of me is a nerd with a clipboard and a checklist. <laughs> and its superpower is getting shit done. <laughs> Not necessarily pleasant to be around, but certainly you want them around in a crisis. <laughs> So those are those are two those are who my two monsters would be. <laughs> I got one. So do you got one, Lou? I do. Bring it. I would be a chameleon. Right? That would be my monster. Would be a chameleon. And just a little history. I used to be definitely afraid of lizards, especially chameleons, because in Malawi, where there's, you know, a chameleon everywhere, it seems like when you would play, when we would play outside, all of a sudden you would turn around, you'd be in the bushes, all of a sudden you'd turn around and you're like, oh my God, face to face with a chameleon, face to face, you know? So uh, I've always been afraid of them. And I'm like, I would be a chameleon and the superpower would be, I could, it could hide anywhere right not just in the woods but like in their apartment bricks wood you know jerseys whatever you know and uh, and it could change sizes and what would what would what what would um trigger it to change sizes anything fear survival anything okay you know yeah but it wouldn't right. necessarily I, change sizes for a strategic reason of its own. It could. Okay. It, you know, it could because it has superpowers, right? It's a monster. Yeah. And it has control over its powers, right? So he can shrink. It could shrink the size anytime. You know, he could be really small or really big or gigantic. Now, you know, chameleons, world. chameleons eat bugs, right? Or am I wrong about that? Are they eat veggies? They, they do eat bugs. Would your chameleon be limited to eating only bugs? No. He would eat everything. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Just checking bomb. bomb. Just okay. Like bomb. This is a chameleon that can eat only bugs. Yeah. I was just checking, Lou, because... He could eat worlds. That's what... That. He could be that big. Like nice. Fenris. Like Fenris. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Eat okay. the moon if you wanted to. So Maureen has her monsters, which I'm still trying to combine into one monster, but I can't get Jigglypuff combined with the nerd with the clipboard yet. Just yeah. It could be one of those monsters Jigglypuff. that has two sides, like like or you flip and then oh it's the nerd with the clipboard, and then the nerd <laughs> with the clipboard gets too overwhelmed and it goes to Jigglypuff and sings a song. Or maybe the nerd the nerd with the clipboard, the the pen is a microphone. <laughs> and every time it gets nervous, it just starts singing. <laughs> There. Okay. All right. I like this monster. This is a way better idea. Thank you, Josh. Okay. All right. Jack, we inspired. So I'll you? give you mine. It's yeah. Well, I have one. It's not very well developed, but uh, it's a shapeshifter, and its shapes are not intentional. They are, you know, emotional responses. 
and it's not a um, it, it seems to have an, an inappropriate shape for the situation. Not, <laughs> not like and, and not even the opposite of what it should be. If you're in a scary situation, it doesn't become dangerous and scary. And it also doesn't become afraid. It, it just doesn't fit in at all. And it, it's so random shape-shifting going on, coupled with, like, a giggling insecurity. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's kind of a tragic monster in some ways. I just – I'm picturing the child's toy where you try to put the the – polygons inside the inside the holes like you got the circle and the square and it's just this monster everything is a star (laughs) yes yeah and and he so there's this scene in in one of the austin powers movies when gold member is giggling and dr evil is like tells him you know like wipe that stupid giggle off your face and he (laughs) and gold member goes (laughs) <laughs> and he, he couldn't he couldn't it he made him even more weird yeah 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 and that's what this shapeshifter also has yeah. but I, is there is there a um like loose monster could be a chameleon that grew really big and helped protect you maureen's monster can maybe help you get organized and have fun while doing it with a nice song um, my monster can help with, you know, decisiveness up to six times a lifetime. What? <laughs> <laughs> Shit, you guys! I realized my, I just realized my monster is Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah, Mary Poppins is awesome. Yeah. I, I think my, mine would have a very good adapt, adaptability skill, and, and be able to roll with it. And if, uh something strange is happening you're okay it can it can just roll with the weird shit mm. okay cool cool well uh, Ailey, we can scratch my we can scratch my entire monster from this if we want um, no i like your monster <laughs> no i like your monster are you gonna giggle Okay, well, I'm a hot tamale, so whatever. <laughs> um, does anybody have a favorite passage they want to read it? I do. I I'm do. just trying to shorten it up. But the, my favorite scene by far was meeting Vom before you knew what was going on. And it's just the closet. So, settle down, girl, she told herself. You're imagining things. No, you're not, said the voice. She jumped again, but this time had the presence of mind to listen for the source. It was coming from the closet. Hello, she said quietly. Is there someone in there? There was no reply. Hello, no answer. She went to the bathroom, splashed some cold water on her face, and dried herself with a towel. She was sticky with sweat, and a shower sounded appealing. But she'd seen enough slasher movies to know that what to know what happened next. Part of her says, it was time to leave. Don't pack anything. Don't change out of your pajamas. Just walk out of the apartment and never look back. But that was stupid. She wasn't about to be spooked out of her new home by a crazy dream. Another part of her just suggested that this was still just a dream. She'd wake up in another moment and laugh at herself. But it was all so clear, so lucid. She'd never determined anything as weird as the flying segment at the beginning, nor anything as ordinary as walking around her apartment looking for a phantom voice. Bad feng shui, she remarked to herself, as if that explained everything. Oh, I agree, said the closet. (laughs) <laughs> I kind of didn't know where the beginning of the book was going with this closet and the monster or whatever is inside of it. Uh, but like the whole book, you just kind of didn't know what was behind any door or what you were going to get. Yeah. And, and and that was sort of like the sort of one of the first doors of the story. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, I guess we're just going to roll with it. That was my favorite thing. Loved it. So is Di- is Diana a hero? 
And she's a re- reluctant hero. A reluctant hero. Agreed. What makes her reluctant? I mean, what? Where do we see the reluctance in what she does? What's so I I think she could have been a cast member on The Office, right? You know, where she's in a dead end job, no relationship. Uh, that what she has going for her is is like a bemused sense of humor, right? And it kind of keeps the horrors of of this universe at arm's length. And those horrors would be fear of boredom, um, not measuring up, basic things. Those are the things I think kind of ruled her life before she became a ward, you know, and, and for these monsters. And, and I think when she gets sucked into this world, because of her coping mechanism of, of humor and um, not getting too emotionally entangled in things, she's the perfect hero. But because she uses humor to keep the world at a distance and because she doesn't like to get too tangled up in things and she set her life up that way, then um, it makes even this huge task that she has something that she doesn't really want to do. But as she gets prepared for it, or the, the, the things that happen prepare her for it. And eventually she's able to perform her, her role, which is to keep the universe together. Wow, that described her journey very well. How, so how does she change? What To me, there, was, there, there were a, mm, a few different kind of pivotal moments for her. You mentioned well, like she when had, she – go ahead. She decides she's not going to use her powers, and she goes to work. Right. So first she tries to undo what she did, which is, you know, she becomes a fire starter by mistake. Shout out to Stephen King, burns the mall to the ground. Then she realized she doesn't want to do that. So she wants to to not exercise her powers and be normal. So she goes to work and work is there. The mall has not burned down, although you can kind of smell it's burnt, it's been burnt at some point. And uh, most people are able to, of course, ignore that. And all she wants to do is her job that day, which is sell coats. And what happens? Everybody goes crazy wanting to buy coats. Maybe this is a good time for me to read my uh, favorite passage. Oh, yeah. Go for it. But it also is a passage, too, of a moment where I think she realizes that she's on a journey and has has gone through sort of what that – or is about to go through that kind of first stage of – uh, sort of denial in a way that sometimes heroes have to get through at the beginning of their journey. She spotted Wendell walking by and waved to him. He lowered his head and picked up his pace away from her. She wondered if she could alter his memory just enough that he wouldn't freak out when he saw her, but immediately ruled it out. This magic stuff wasn't a cure-all. It wasn't perfect, and even if it had been, She'd only been using it for two days. She was no expert. Wendell's half-memories of yesterday were important. She was dangerous company, and he would be better off keeping his distance. Diana hadn't thought much of Wendell in the time they'd worked together. Now, he embodied that ultimate normality that had gone missing from her life. Something she'd taken for granted when he'd been around. Something that actively avoided her now. She'd fix that by ignoring the weirdness and concentrating on the ordinary. So even though there was a shadowy blob-like entity browsing skis and sporting goods and a snaky thing swimming through the air, (laughs) she ignored these things and thought about selling coats. She was going to sell an assload of coats to prove that she could and to make up for burning down the store, even if that now technically had never happened. And also because she wanted to do something normal. A mother with two children in tow stepped into her section. Diana, smiling perhaps a bit too widely, approached. Can I help you, miss? The woman acknowledged Diana in the vaguest manner, like a mosquito buzzing in her ear. I think it's time the children bought some new jackets. The boys were <laughs> noticeably annoyed by this. Mom, Ma, whined one. We just went jacket shopping last week. 
The woman ignored them and started looking through the racks. Diana knew the drill, stepped aside, and waited to compliment the woman's choices. She bought two new coats for the kids and two new coats for herself. It was an auspicious beginning, and Diana took it as a good omen. No sooner had the family left than another man appeared. This one sneaked up while she was working the register. He was tall with sallow skin and a big wax mustache. Excuse me, young miss, but I seem to have a great need of a new coat. She smiled. Right this way, sir. He bought the first garment she showed him. He paid in cash, then wandered away in a bit of a daze. Almost immediately, two more customers appeared to take his place. They were just as eager to buy, and all Diana had to do was point them toward the racks. A woman with a distant stare set her purchase on the counter. Anything else for you, miss? asked Diana. The woman's gaze focused on Diana. Oh, of course. Yes, something else. She grabbed a random coat within reach and put it beside her original purchase. Diana got the nagging suspicion that normality was about to slip out of her fingers again. So funny. It's good. It's very funny. And so she's the reluctant hero. And, and that's just an example of her trying not to be the hero. And eventually, I think she becomes uh, a hero by appealing to Calvin's humanity, such as, as it is, and by being just a regular person again. Hey, come on. You know, do the best you can not to screw up our universe. Yeah, is it doesn't – I want to talk about the end because – her journey you know, sort of takes her to this place as a ward where she has now taken in these monsters who, who needed a ward to sort of realize their potential and to, mm, I guess, behave in a way that wasn't so monstrous. And so she's able to have this effect on them. That's her ward ability. And she has this group of monsters. She confronts Calvin and his – destructive path that he's on and yet at the very end doesn't she have to give up isn't that what isn't that what she does in the end her monsters are battling Fenris her monsters are like going crazy and doesn't she have to sort of surrender all that and let Fenris go ahead and eat the moon and Calvin join them in their reconciliation up there in the sky isn't that what happens in the end? She she surrenders. Yeah. She doesn't win the battle. She doesn't win the battle. I, well, at first it, she's beating up the four armed werewolves, and then she even stops that, right? Right. Look, what I what I liked about the ending was that it what to me at least the way that I read it was it wasn't so much about a surrender as a realizing that it wasn't her battle to fight. It was actually Calvin's, and like. In a sense, what she was doing was releasing Calvin and hoping for the best that Calvin would remember that aspect of his humanity and be able to steer his entire being, him being the intelligence, like having the intelligence of his whole monstrous godness, having that experience with humanity and being and having that conversation with her, that it was his battle to fight his intellect versus Fenris versus the moon and steer them in a direction that was not going to be destructive toward the universe. So it, it was like, it wasn't even that she was surrendering the battle. It was that she was realizing that it wasn't her fight. And I liked that. Nice. Yeah. I've been trying to figure out the ending. That makes, that makes sense to me. She used her superpower too. You know, like, you know, one of her superpowers is she centered all the monsters. That's why they were drawn to her. She kind of centered Calvin into his humanity, you know, and let him go. Or just let go of him, I guess, you know. But she centered him, you know. That was like her superpower. But she was there to be, she was there at the right time, at the right moment to save the universe. I am nodding vigorously. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice. Well, she she has along her journey to get there. She has like moments of clarity, like when she realizes that normal has slipped away, and or that she is she realizes she somehow her job is to kind of like be the centering force for the monsters, and so she has to have her development is based on these moments of like, oh, this is who I am, this is what I am, and even though it makes no sense. And it's nothing she asked for. She ne- she accepts herself. 
for for who she is. And so part of for me, part of her journey from like reluctance to willingness is this embracing embracing of who she discovers she you know who she is. I love that. That's exact. That seems like exactly it to me. That's great. I think her journey is the central story of this book. Any other themes? Any other little things, side themes that folks picked up on? For me, just like a lot of it was was humor and comedy and ridiculousness. And I really liked Calvin. You know, kind of the if she was the reluctant hero, he was the reluctant destroyer. And uh, it was nothing (laughs) personal, you know, and he actually probably felt a little bit bad about it. But, um, you know, he'd been waiting for millennia and through the Dark Ages, including living in a cave, attracting a cult around him for his entire existence. Just like she was attracting monsters that she calmed, he was attracting humans that he broke them down into their component parts in in a way, you know. So I, I I found his character to be awesome and humorous and the cult around him was hilarious too one of the things that uh, one of the themes and it it just kind of tickled me was the contrast between you know greg and his following versus diana and her following and how it was like you've got greg who is glitz and glamour and money and uh, everything that looks that looks shiny and delicious, especially to people who may be searching for an answer. And then there's Diana and the monsters and Sharon who are much more grounded. And I found a little subtle thread underneath the writing that was how we undervalue the role of an ordinary person because Diana was basically like just an ordinary person. And all she really did to be heroic was accept other people as they are. Josh, as you were saying, accept herself for who she was and allow people like the moment to overcome their fear of, of something new and being in a surprising situation. That's what happened with every single monster that she took in all of her strays. You know, you've got it. You've got the monster here. It's confused. It doesn't know what's going on. And all she does is sit there and say, Hey, it's okay. We get it. You know, you're good. It's new. You're a little scared. I'm a little scared. We're going to be okay. Versus the Greg side of things where he says, this thing is coming, we need to be afraid, and we need to make ourselves better so we can be ready. I just liked that there was an emphasis on kindness and patience and giving people the space to be who they are, and that in and of itself is a heroic act that will allow people to be the best possible version of themselves. Here, here. All set. Here, here. Yeah, that was our superpower. Here, here. Yeah, Greg's charisma was built on, like, superficiality and fear. A lot of people can drawn into. Exactly. For me, I I had that Greg was forcing his desires on the world, whereas Diana was kind of like what Maureen said. You know, it's like, you know, she had so many moments of clarity for herself, and she just accepted everybody for who they were. And she didn't force anybody to do anything. In fact, she she felt so bad, you know, that her her one of her powers was to force people to do her, you know, her way. Well, you know, I think it's time for us to have a word from our sponsor for episode ten. And when we return, we'll do Hollywood. This episode has been made possible by Bring a Pirate. Bring a Pirate. The world's First, emotional support pirate service. I was on an airplane last year, and the woman next to me was clearly afraid of flying. And she got on the plane, and she had a dog with her. It was a German Shepherd, very big, well-trained, happy German Shepherd. And it just sat on the floor in front of her, and she scratched its ears and spoke gently to it as the plane was taking off. And there was nowhere for me to put my feet actually. And eventually she's like, just put your feet on the dog. It won't mind. And so I was like, kind of my feet were hovering just like a quarter inch into its fur, not even putting my weight on it at the beginning of the flight. But by the end of the flight, it was just, I was just laying on the dog and I'm not particularly afraid of flying. Um, but 
it even made me feel better to have this comforting creature with us. She got through the flight and she was just fine. And of course, the dog was super popular on the plane. Everyone was talking to the dog, scratching the dog. And she talked about her dog constantly with everybody. It was a registered emotional support animal. The good folks over at Bring a Pirate, this got them thinking. They've had similar experiences to the one I had. And they put together a fantastic organization for emotional support pirates. So if you suffer from PTSD, mild to severe anxiety, agoraphobia, that's the fear of being outside the home, areophobia, like that young lady sitting next to me, depression, general anxiety disorder, stress-induced situations, social shyness, whatever it is, Bring a Pirate is the solution for you. I have been fortunate enough to use their services on one occasion. Uh, It was my annual review at work, and I thought I was doing a good job, but you know, it's a very anxiety-inducing situation. I was very nervous to go and see my boss. I called up Bring a Pirate, told him about the situation, No sooner did I hang up, but they they sent a pirate straight over to my office, and I went into my annual review, and I brought my pirate with me. I got to say, you know, he was there with his big hat and his big black beard, hook, peg leg, parrot on his shoulder. I I don't think anything could have given me more confidence than sitting next to a pirate during my annual review. If you have stuff coming up, some if you need to, as a pirate would say, batten down the hatches because a storm is coming. If you've got a storm on the horizon, something that's making you nervous, uncertain, full of fear, consider bring a pirate, um, and it's going to do world uh, world of good for you. I I remember the first time my brother used bring a pirate. He was meeting his now wife's uh, parents for the first time, and uh, you know he was in love. He knew he was going to pop the question. They went to a Greek restaurant in Virginia. He was super nervous. He brought a pirate table for five. You know, not a big deal. And it got them through it. The rest is history. They've got beautiful kids, etc. They use Bring a Pirate all the time. Bring a Pirate, emotional support pirates, uh, easy to find, you know, widely accepted. Any kind of emotional disturbance or disability, Bring a Pirate. If you want to learn more, go to www.bringapirate.com. Back to the pod. <laughs> Thank you, Bring a Pirate. I assume that you'll take... Uh, gold coins as payment they, yeah well that's a great point they accept gold coins they accept booty treasure they Doubloons. also accept all they, yes and all major credit cards Fantastic. very easy very mm. easy to work with mm. i will I need that emotional support pirate to get through my next marathon you could run with a pirate i could although i don't know if the peg leg i would be able to handle that i have an annual review coming up jack so i'm going to offline talk to you about your experience with your pirate for, for <laughs> cool well we're in hollywood ah i love hollywood because we are the premier directors creators producers of tv and movies in hollywood and we have an unlimited budget and we can do whatever we want and any everybody wants to be part of our show so we can invite anybody in for tryouts the world is our oyster. We own Hollywood. And so we got some great characters to cast in this story. We got Diana, of course. We're talking a lot about her. We have Calvin. West, who is the handyman, landlord, I'm not sure, of the apartment building. Greg. We got the monsters. They'll need voices, right? Vom, Zap, Pogo, Smorgaz. And there's Sandra, there's Chuck, that's uh, Diana's boyfriend for a while, and the man trapped by Pogo. All right, so we got all these folks. Anybody got anybody for Calvin? I do. John Slattery. He was um, in Mad Men, the silver-haired ad guy, one of the owners. Yes. I think he'd he'd be a great Calvin. Okay, we're we're inviting him in. Yep, I'm picturing sure. it looking just like he did, as as Sterling in the show, but with like three days of growth on his face, <laughs> wearing like suit without a, but with like a Hawaiian shirt and flip flops. Yeah, he was good at being kind of that sort of apathetic, sullen kind of guy. 
like Calvin could be. All right. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Anybody else got anybody for Calvin? Well, I have a trio of people I want to be casted, and I don't know which one is Calvin, which one is West, or which one is who. I don't know. But I want Jeff Goldblum, Bill Murray, and John Malkovich. Oh. I just want wow, them in the same – I want them in the same thing, and I'm thinking one of those guys could be Calvin. I'm not sure uh, which one – I like Jeff Goldblum in Thor Ragnarok. Uh-huh. He played the, the leader of that trash planet, and he was just fantastic. Yes. <laughs> Dark. And uh, I don't know if he's actually the right one for Calvin. I think John Slattery's temperament is actually a better play there. Right. But could be Bill Murray, too. I don't know. John. John Malkovich can play that kind of like whatever kind of arrogant. Yeah. But so anyway, so I, I want to bring those guys in. I'm not sure which one could go head to head with John Slattery for the Calvin role, but they're who I'm thinking about. Yeah, if you're going to do that, like, I would put Jeff Goldblum in as Greg, um, John Malkovich in as West, and um, Bill Murray in as Calvin. That would be that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I would love to see John Malkovich as West. I think that is a good call. Yeah. He would be a great West. Oh, yeah. that <laughs> is, that's genius. Okay, you changed my mind. I I pictured I pictured John Malkovich as West the whole time. <laughs> right, very good. I'm glad we agree. Before I read the book, I was like, you know who would be great as the apartment guy? Before I even knew there was an apartment guy, John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Agreed. So John Malkovich would be great as West. I had. Liam Neeson, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking John Malkovich. (laughs) He's perfect as well. Yeah, extra set of eyes, Harry calling her number five constantly. Can you imagine her taking (laughs) him taking her into the basement to see all of the previous people? Like that would be so creepy, but so fun. Yeah, Mm, that is a great scene. All right, so we've locked down two. We all feel good about two of them. Yes. Yep. Okay, well, how about Diana? This is the way that I was picturing the movie is like if you watch the old it's a movie in my head by the way. If you watch the old I Love Lucy's <laughs> The old um, I Love Lucy's. Old I Love Lucy's. Lucille Ball is the funny one and Desi Arnaz is the straight man. And as I was reading this book like I was picturing Diana as the straight man. Everything is happening to her. The humor is coming from the outside. She is the one sitting there kind of absorbing it all. And she needs to have that, that like centeredness. And then I was like, I, and I was like Laura Linney and, or Laura Dern. And then I realized that the other reason I was thinking Laura Dern is because she'd already done a movie where she was surrounded by monsters and talking to them and loving them, and it was Jurassic Park, which is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, I'm throwing out Laura Dern for that, and those that's my reasoning. I like it. I got I got one for Diana. Kristen Wiig. She's got great facial expressions and that kind of like she can do emotions transparently on her face in a great way. And she can have hilarious stuff happen around her and react to it in a really great way. Remind us where uh, we've seen Kristen Wick before. Is she from Saturday Night Live? Yeah, she's from Saturday yeah. Night Live. She was in Bridesmaids. She was the main character in Bridesmaids. And she does com- you know, comedy. And she's she's awesome. I can't believe you guys don't know her. No, I know, I know her. No, totally know her now. Just wasn't okay. uh, picturing. I mean, I know her. Come on. Jeez. <laughs> so, how about Jillian Jacobs from Community? She does really good with absurdity and being like the normal person, but not quite normal mm-hmm. uh, in in absurdity. And she does the good. I'm I'm lost. I don't I don't know who I am, and don't know if I'll, <laughs> I'll ever find myself anyway. So I'm just gonna go to the lowest place. Okay, so we've got a bunch for Diana. That's going to be a tough one. I mean, I like Maureen's view of how this role Diana should fill, and I think all three of these people can do that. Lou, did you have anybody for Diana? Did you take a pass? I did. Oh, I, all right. 
I had Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> I love her. I love she's her dynamic. too. She's dynamic. Yeah, she's dynamic, and you know, she could you know she could easily play that part with you know, a reluctant hero, and then saves the universe with letting everything go. <laughs> you know? So that's my pick. I had another pick for Vom, the voice of Vom. And I kept on thinking about the whole time Steve Buscemi. That's good. Yeah. You know who he is? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Boardwalk Empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he I does just... deadpan very well. Exactly. That that would be the voice of Vom. Okay. All right, that's good. I think I like it better than mine. I had David Spade for Vaughn. I also like David Spade, though. Similar types. Yeah. Similar types yeah. in a way. <laughs> I just want evil Mike Wazowski and evil Sully from Monsters, Inc. for Vaughn <laughs> <for Bob> and <laughs> Smorgas. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the, boss, the monster voices got got a lot of potential. There's a lot of so great So you you're going to go with Billy Crystal, Crystal and John Goodman? Ah, oh, that would be really funny. <laughs> Can you imagine John Goodman, like, talking from the closet? That would be hilarious, except it's backwards. So I don't know. We'll, I, we'll see. I just want I just want green and green and blue monsters. I do want green and blue monsters as well. I'm wondering uh, who could Zap be? Who could be Zap? Zap is condescending and kind of like a know-it-all. Yeah. Smug. 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 Very smug. I don't know. I don't know. It's not. Robert Downey Jr.? Oh, yeah? (laughs) Okay. Okay, yeah. That's excellent. Ah, Yeah. Yes. His his Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yes, that is a good choice. Well, all right. Are we, have, not, are we missing anybody? Who else do we have? We're missing. We're missing Greg. And this Greg. Is my str- this is my strongest cast cast yet. Greg is Tom Cruise. Tom. Wow. Man, I mean, we've got all the power in Hollywood, but Tom, can we get Tom? <laughs> wow. We, he would leap at the chance to do Greg, and Greg would be super intense. Oh Just my God. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Yes. You know, like Tom Cruise on Oprah's couch or on David Letterman? <laughs> Oprah's couch. Jumping on the couch. Right, right. Oh, dear. He, he could be himself. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I'm seeing that now. That would be fantastic. Yeah. All right. Movie all around? Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm okay. for it. Rating. Rating. PG-13. R. 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 Really? I, I was going to say PG-13. Really? Yeah. There isn't much bad language. Um, there's a little sexual innuendo. There's one relationship that mm-hmm. one wouldn't need to see the sex scenes, I think, to be to get the gratification of the relationship. That because the relationship is more of like two misfits kind of finding each other and providing some solace rather than you know two hotties finding each other and and going it that way. So I, I don't know. Why are Lou? What's I don't know. Make it more interesting, I guess. I guess it would be to uh, make the universe more alive. You know, the world more alive. Like all the monsters okay. and the greediness and the you know mm. uh, the nastiness of the monsters. You know, mm. and the ending is for me. The ending was kind of violent with with, yeah. with all the destruction. You yeah, know, it was, very there was a lot of destruction. You know. It so, was apocalyptic. <laughs> yeah, so I, I would want that to be very vivid. I would want the world to be very vivid. And I think that R would, would give it that, you know, allowance, that movement, you know, to, you know, make it a little bit more realistic, I guess. I, I you don't, hear you. You don't want to go baby apocalypse. You want to go full no. apocalypse. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was a destruction. Death and destruction. So who you know? would like the movie, though, Lou? Who would, who would go tell their friends to go see it? Is it the person who goes to see an R-rated movie? Like, dude, I saw the weirdest movie I've ever seen. You should go see it. 
or <laughs> is, it, is it the PG-13, like, where kids are in high school and junior high quoting it? I think it's, I think it's younger. I think it's younger. And, and so did I change your mind? No, because to be honest, I don't, I guess this was, you know, I just don't think about R-rated movies. I haven't thought about it in a long time when you just said that because you have kids. I don't have kids. I'm like, oh, oh you know, uh, I have nieces and nephews. I'm definitely aware of what they watch, but I never think like, is this an R-rated movie? But I know R-rated movie has that wide range of Violence, I, think, I think I'm picking up on it. I think I'm picking you know up on mean? it, though. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm gonna channel my inner my inner hot tamale. <laughs> With a hint of cinnamon. Yeah. Can and, I get evil Mary Poppins? <laughs> yes. Well, I think what you're saying, Lou, is the grit. You want the grit. You want the grit. Yeah, I want the grit. You want the darkness. Yeah. You want, yeah. You want the absurdity, the horror that's behind, the terror that's behind the absurdity to come through. You don't want a cartoonish, scrubbed experience. And our hero is somehow able to, within this world, her strain, her ability is really on display if you also display the grit and the griminess. Mm. If it's yes. just kind of polished and easy, then it, the movie kind of goes in a different, slightly different direction. Did you guys see Into the Spider-Verse? Yes. So we need Noir Spider for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I think I think we we as the producers have to decide do we want to do more of a mass appeal and go the mm-hmm. PG-13 route or do we want to make something that might be like a cult favorite? That is a good question. That's a great question. Do you remember that like three years where the same movie came out twice and it was like Armageddon and then the other asteroid movie and like, oh, Deep Impact. And Mm -hmm. like it was like a couple years of that. Maybe that's what we do, but they're both us. You know, you get the darker, grittier version and then you get the nice, good feeling version. Hmm. Right. Like Elizabeth Fallen and White House Down. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, we could we could double dip this one. Right. And then people could get on the internet and argue about which one is better and we would just rake in all of the cash. Okay. Let's I like do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody have a favorite passage? My mine's long, but I'm gonna try to shorten it. It's when she was trying to be normal and she wants to go out to the party with her employees, fellow employees and co-workers. And she's like, and, and the monsters want to go with her and, you know, and they're trying to decide their roles, you know, and it starts. Can I, can I say I used to be worshiped as a God? Asked mom. What? She shook her head. No, not even if, if someone asked, like maybe, maybe it just comes up randomly in the table conversation. When is something like that going to come up? You never know. And lively conversation can be unpredictable. You're a guy who studies dirt, she said. That's it. Can I be gay? Asked Morgus. She covered her face and ground her teeth. Okay, you can be gay. That's no fair. What does he get to be gay? Said Bob. You can, you can be gay too, she replied. Wait, Smorgas. We can't both be gay. Then it won't be special. She said, maybe... Maybe we should just forget this whole thing. No, it's fine. We can both be gay. But since I thought of it, I'll be flamboyantly gay. And you just be an ordinary gay. I can live with that, said Vom. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, <laughs> these guys are crazy, you know? <laughs> you know it, it, Diane... She's not that funny, but the monsters make this thing, you know, her situation makes it, you know, the whole thing hilarious. I agree. So they, wait, I got one more. So they get to the party, right? It's, I'm Vom, Smorgas. Ginger said, these are interesting names. Albanian said Smorgas. I thought you looked Albanian. Diana understood. <laughs> understood. Vomish Morgus were blanks. Seen however the viewer wanted to 
wanted or expected to see them, just as long as it was conceivable, conceivably alternative to seeing what they actually were. I'm gay, said Bob. I'm gay too, added Schmorgus, flamboyantly. Smiling ginger nodded. I see. Diana sat down. Vama Smorgas sat to her left. <laughs> it was just hilarious. So the party scene. So party scene yeah, is. That is a party such a, that's one of the most hilarious things in the whole book. Yeah. Well, folks, what makes this book special? Jack. Yeah. It's funny and ridiculous. If you're having a hard time, if you're feeling down, um, if you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, this is the book for you. Maureen. I have to agree with Jack. It, I, uh, The humor, the lightheartedness, and just how you can just sink your teeth in and just kind of – I, I want to cuddle up to this book, you know? Lou. It's really, really funny, lighthearted. They, they both just said, I agree with Jack and Maureen. So I, I struggle with absurdity literature, and I, I was trying to think why. And the reason is because I live my own absurdity, <laughs> and it's hard for me to drop into somebody else's. <laughs> and I, so I read this book a second time to see like what, what, I, what would happen. And when I dropped myself into Diana's absurdity in this world, the whole thing came alive. So for me, this book was special because it gave me a medium, a character through which I could experience somebody else's absurdity and get out of my own. Oh, I like it. Well, episode 10, featuring Chasing the Moon by A. Lee Martinez, has come to an end. We'd like to thank Bring a Pirate, whose generous funding made this episode possible. Bring a Pirate! Bring a Pirate! If you need to batten down the hatches because of an uncomfortable situation in your life, arg! Bring a Pirate! You can find more information about Bring a Pirate at booksfromearth.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, rate us, or visit our website, booksfromearth.com. Earth makes great books. Come relive them with us. So long, and until next time, all you smorgasses, bombs, zaps, and pogos, this is Josh, Maureen, Jack, and Lou signing off. Good night. Good night. Good job, everybody. Great job. Bring a pirate. Bring a pirate. Emotional support. Uh, hold on. Let me let me go again. Let me go again. Bring a pirate. All right. I'm going to go one more time, guys. I feel so good about this one. I'm fumbling away. All right. Ready? And I have an external hard drive. It doesn't have as much. It has an incredible amount of RAM, which I'm really happy with, And but it doesn't have much local. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got an external hard drive, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah. You got external Josh hard drive you can needs, Josh might need to update his RAM now that you mentioned mm. it, Maureen. Thanks yeah. for bringing that up. Are you guys if, making you know. a sex joke? <laughs> you have to ask Jack, but. <laughs> no. Real, <laughs> RAM, joke I RAM is good. I've, I've been making uh, – I've been saying that Josh needs more RAM for, for many years. Time. <laughs> so you are making a sex joke. No, okay, it's cool. not a sex joke. He just needs more RAM. <laughs> Mostly to to accommodate more of a broad emotional experience, right? People process my emotions because – yeah. And other people really like this much RAM. When I do when I do this <laughs> face, like if I do this face like this, like what does that mean, Josh? If he uploads more RAM, he'll be like, oh, he's surprised, Sit. right? Because with without the RAM, he's like Sit. hungry. He's like is he hungry. I don't know. Do you look? Is he hungry when he does that? Let me get my.
I got a, an emoticon book. Let me check it out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Ready for the face, Josh? Oh, yeah, yep. <laughs> I wish I could see the face. I can't see it. Why can't you, can't you see, see the face? <laughs> oh, that's wonder. That's wonder. Close. Close. Dang it. Well, Close. surprise and yeah. wonder look so much alike. See, if you had more RAM, <laughs> you would know that this, this, this is this is wonder. Ready? That's not wonder. That's pensive. Yeah, that's. Oh, you're right. That was I think, pensive. I think that was that was very pensive. You need more RAM. I, I, that's true. I probably do. <laughs> Can we all just agree that everyone needs more RAM? <laughs> Josh, I think you're muted.